Welcome to Recruitment News Australia. In case you don't know who we are, firstly, my name's Ross Clennett. I started my recruitment career in 1989 as a permanent accounting recruiter in London. I worked for four different agencies across a 14-year period. I started my training and coaching business in 2004. I've been publishing a weekly newsletter and blog since 2007. And my name's Adele Last. I've been working 26 years in the recruitment sector for a range of small private and larger publicly listed recruitment agencies. I worked as a GM and managed recruitment businesses before starting my own company three years ago involved in creating a Pathways program, including training for new recruiters coming into our industry. And this is the news for week commencing 1st of May 2023. A Defence Strategic Review warned that all areas of the Australian Defence Force, the Australian Public Service and the Defence Industry already face significant workforce challenges and must adopt creative and flexible responses to ease these pressures. Some of these measures include relaxing fitness standards for cyber professionals and other non-traditional army roles, recruiting more foreigners and making it more appealing for former soldiers to return to defence. Policy, process, risk appetite and approaches to recruitment must change to increase the speed from application to enlistment, the review says. Recruitment time must be achieved in days and not months. Deputy Prime Minister and Defence Minister Richard Miles says the government would have more to say about recruitment in the lead-up to the budget. The largest review of the country's defence strategy in 35 years recommends expanding the eligibility pool of potential recruits to better align recruitment requirements to the specific needs of each role, especially in key technical areas and specialist trades such as cyber, engineering and space. The other half of the battle is retention. The 2021-22 Defence Annual Report shows the permanent ADF headcount fell by 1,422 people in the 2022 financial year, even though just over 5,000 people enlisted. Although Australia's two most popular states recorded falls in job advertisements, the seasonally adjusted Internet Vacancy Index rose 0.1% month-on-month to reach 282,100 job advertisements in March. Declines in New South Wales, minus 4.8%, and Victoria, minus 6.3%, were offset by rises in all other states, with Tasmania, 25.7%, and Queensland, 8.4%, recording the largest increases, followed by South Australia, 4.9%, and Western Australia, 4.3%. Bachelor's degrees are a popular option among young students, but new data suggests university might not be the best option for those seeking happiness and wealth in the early years of employment. Almost 3,000 young people were surveyed as part of the Australian Industry Group's research into the real trajectories and early career paths of 25-year-olds, with nearly half holding a bachelor's or postgraduate degree. Tradies performed better than their tertiary-educated counterparts, with a difference of 16% between the group's wages at that age. Although the report notes we should exercise some caution in drawing conclusions comparing pay at age 25, as other evidence suggests higher qualified workers are likely to have stronger wage growth over their careers. 
One of the key findings in AI Reports Group was the benefit of learning in real-world settings, and with almost all postgraduates and apprentices reporting full employment by 25, meanwhile only 92% of those holding a bachelor are fully employed at this age. Postgraduates and apprentices also recorded the highest levels of job satisfaction, with respondents particularly pleased with the opportunities for further training, as well as the chance to use their skills and experience on the job. There were more high-profile job cuts this past week in Australia. Australia Post, being one of the latest companies to cut jobs, with 400 roles announced to be axed from its Melbourne head office, starting at the executive level and then moving on to GMs, heads of departments and other senior roles. The organisation said no frontline roles would be impacted. At its written... At its recent half-year financial results, Australia Post announced it will report a full-year loss the first time since 2015. Households receive approximately 2.4 letters a week, a third of what they received 15 years ago, with modelling predicting that it will fall to just one letter per week by the end of the decade. Software-based startup CultureAmp, which was recently valued at $2 billion, also revealed this week that it was laying off 9% of its staff with around 100 roles to be impacted. One of the big four accounting firms, KPMG Australia, is set to slash 200 roles, having increased headcount by over 2,000 people in 2022. (coughs) One of KPMG's big four rivals, Deloitte Australia, won't be doing the same, according to Chief Executive Adam Powick, although hiring will be slowed with the firm having cut the number of active job ads on LinkedIn to almost 600, down from more than 1,000 ads before Easter. South Dakota posted the lowest jobless rate among all US states in March at 1.9%. The US Bureau of Statistics reported the lowest rates were in Nebraska and North Dakota at 2.1% each. In addition, seven states in March posted their lowest jobless rate since 1976. Nevada had the highest unemployment rate among all states in March at 5.5%. Meanwhile, small business owners in the US are shifting away from permanent full-time hiring and have rapidly switched their preference to employing temporary part-time workers or contractors instead. Small business owners' rate of hiring only temporary part-time workers and contractors has skyrocketed to a record high of 25%, up 6 percentage points from February, and is 19 percentage points higher than it was in December at just 6%. Rand said the world's largest staffing firm reported per day per working day revenue for the first quarter ending 31 March 2023 declined by 4.2% compared to a year ago. Gross profit was down 2% on an organic basis. Underlying EBITDA fell by 9%. Revenue in Ransat Australia New Zealand was up 5% year-on-year and up 8% compared to the December 2022 quarter. Hymie, an AX-listed local staffing platform for temporary and permanent hiring, reported revenue for the quarter ended 31 March 2023 of $5.13 million, an increase of 53% when compared to the same period a year ago. Gross profit improved 40% year-on-year to reach $450,000. Manpower Group reported its 2023 first quarter results with revenue falling 2.2% year-on-year in constant currency to $4.75 billion. Australia grew 1%, US 
fell, the United States fell 13.4%, the UK declined 11%, and France, manpower's single largest market, grew 2.5%. Global search firm Heinrich and Struggles reported net revenue fell 13.7% year over year in constant currency to reach 293 million US dollars. Heinrich and Struggles had 432 executive search consultants at the end of the first quarter compared to 394 at the end of the same quarter a year ago. Revenue per consultant for the quarter was 1.8 million US dollars compared to 2.5 million US dollars per consultant one year ago. Talent platform operator Freelancer reported March 2023 quarter gross payment volume of $311.7 million, a 4.6% year-on-year decline. The average project size registered on Freelancer in the first quarter was $243, US up 3% year-over-year. Adele, our question of the week this week. Why do my clients invalidate non-Australian work experience and what can I do about it? (laughs) This one's uh, one that's a bit personal to me, Ross. Having come from a migrant family myself who had uh, real and valid work experience overseas and had to come to Australia and pretty much start again. I absolutely understand the pain of this kind of question, um, both for the candidate and for the recruiter in this process. So um, I, I totally understand what people are meaning with this one. And it's it's really um it's really frustrating that there is a perception that overseas experience isn't comparable uh, to to Australian experience. You know, it isn't relevant. We know that that's the case, but there is that perception in the marketplace, in the workplace, in your clients' um, cultural environments that that it isn't the same. Uh, and and it's really wrong. You know, I mean, in often in most cases, it's a steeper learning curve for migrants to come to Australia. You know, they have to come and learn new ways of doing things, new cultural environments, new um, jargon, new slang. You know, all of the things that they need to learn to it to fit in, and they're all also, you know, dealing with, in most cases, you know, working in an environment where English isn't their first language, they're then now speaking completely in English. And, you know, that's a bit of another bugbear of mine is, you know, communication requirements uh, around accents. And look, our industry is the worst, to be perfectly frank. Uh, We are um, not great at at being flexible around what we mean or understanding what we mean by communication. I will get that as a criteria with my clients saying they need to be able to communicate well. I want somebody who's a great communicator. And what they're actually meaning is I don't want somebody with an accent. And it really frustrates me again because somebody's accent is not indicative of the way they communicate. They are two very separate things. So I'll hop off my soapbox for a minute, but this one's a bit personal. (laughs) Well, let me just pick up what you've said about accents because I think it makes a difference or you will find as a recruiter it, it will make a difference whether that is a, let's say, let's say it the way it is, Adele, whether it's a white person's accent or a brown person's accent. Because mm. I don't know about you, but I've got some Glaswegian friends 
And even though they've been in this country for a number of years, they can still be pretty difficult to understand. Mm. And not any easier to understand than people who may be from the subcontinent and also have an accent. So I, you know, I think there is a racist element or there can be mm-hmm. a racist element there. And moving on to the work experience specifically, well, in my experience as a recruiter, the type of hiring managers that requested Australian experience only were the people who'd never worked outside of Australia. So how would they know what it was like in workplaces outside of Australia? Mm. Um, And again, you put up a candidate who's only ever worked in Auckland or Cape Town or London, Mm. and you'll find that non-Australian work experience isn't a real hurdle. But if it's other countries, then perhaps it is. Uh, and so this infuriates me. Yeah, so it could be, you know, it's a, it's an ignorance element really because they're not understanding. As you said, in most cases, they may not have even worked overseas themselves. So it's, a, it, it's ignorance around understanding what the experience is about. And I guess it is about then getting the client to... Uh, really unpack the person's experience and understand how it is relevant, understand where it is more like than unlike uh, in terms of the candidate's experience to the job. So really doing your job as a consultant in matching up the kind of experience the person's had, regardless of which country it is from, the where they've had the experience, but really matching it up to the job criteria. Exactly. And I recruited in accounting and this was relatively easy because accounting globally is pretty much the same everywhere. Yes, of course, there are some legal differences, but the actual profession of accounting operates the same all around the world. So I focused on proving that my candidates had the accounting skills to do the job on offer, while, of course, acknowledging that you know, this candidate may be working in an Australian environment for the first time, but that's something that won't take that long to pick up, but they can actually do the job. And this is what recruiters have got to focus on. What are the requirements to do the actual job? Have the client focus on those things, the most important things, because where the candidate has gained that particular experience is far less relevant than the fact that they can actually do the job. Yeah, and I think that's a really great point perhaps for us to finish on that as a recruitment industry, we have to be part of the solution on this and not part of the problem. So we absolutely can't perpetuate these issues. We absolutely can't accept client requirements that say, I want them only to have local experience. We really need to push um, back on the client, help stop this happening and get the client to really understand the quality of the experience and not the location of where it occurred. And also, Adele, let's be really frank, we've got employer groups in this country crying out for the government to let more workers from outside Australia come in. So what's the point once those workers come in 
that the actual employers themselves are still saying, oh, no, you know, you don't have Australian experience. I can't consider you. Like, that's ludicrous. So, you know, it supports Australia's economy if all employers think about skills, not where the person gained the experience. Because we've got all of these people coming into Australia believing, these workers believing that they're going to get work because Australia's crying out for workers. How do you think they're going to feel when they hear from employers like, oh, well, you don't have Australian experience? It's completely contrary. It's completely ridiculous. And it's completely counterproductive to employers hiring the best people for the job and I wish they would stop it straight away. No argument for me. That's a wrap. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, Google, Apple, Spotify, or on our website.